Black Doctors Podcast, Season 6. Thank you to GoodRx for partnering with the Black Doctors Podcast and sponsoring this episode. Hello and welcome back to the Black Doctors Podcast. I'm Stephen, your host. This is a special episode. It's actually sponsored by the folks over at GoodRx. And we are joined today by Dr. Eddie Gutierrez. Um, you may know him from social media, Dr. Eddie Joe MD. Welcome to the podcast. Oh, thanks so much for having me. It's an honor to be here. And congratulations on the success of your podcast. <laughs> thanks so much. So we got to, uh, off, off the bat, who and what is GoodRx? So the folks at GoodRx, their mission is to help people get the health they need at a price they can afford. And they are a company that helps our patients find the most affordable prescription drug options. Um, they sponsored our, our episode here on the podcast. We're going to share exactly what they do in further detail throughout the course of the show. And we'll talk about some resources that they have specifically for physicians. You may have seen their discount card or their discount codes that they have, but did you know that as a healthcare professional, as a physician, pharmacist, dentist, you can go online and order your own GoodRx prescription cards. This process is free and you can give those to your patients to help them afford the medication they need. We'll get into that a little bit more in the show because Eddie actually uses this uh, quite frequently and you started using it very early in your career, uh, if I recall. Yeah, absolutely. I I can't, I tried to remember how I stumbled upon GoodRx, but um, before I became an intensivist, I did internal medicine training and I was very fortunate to do it at a very good institution in Savannah, Georgia. I have very fond memories of residency. As a matter of fact, I was speaking to a couple of my co-residents earlier today. Oh, that's you know, it's, been, it's been 10 years <laughs> since, uh, since I started residency, basically five years since I've been out of fellowship. But um, Doing an internal medicine clinic in, in Savannah was very rewarding. I mean, I got to take care of some great patients, some great people. However, there were a lot of financial challenges when it came to affordability of medications. And it actually became very frustrating for me to say, go ahead and need to prescribe a certain medication to a, to a patient and it not be on formulary or they didn't have insurance and they just couldn't afford it. To be able to try to find an option for them that could allow them to be adherent to their medication regimen that they ultimately needed. And again, I can't remember how I, I crossed around GoodRx. And this was, if I recall correctly, this was before even the app was out. I mean, everybody had, you know, Wow. These these old uh, old iPhones at the time that right now we would <laughs> use as paperweights, but I, I recall just printing out the coupons for the patients for their for their generic medications because you know there were times that the prices that GoodRx was able to provide to our patients were prices that were even less at times than what the insurance company had as a copayment and most of the time definitely cheaper and less expensive, more affordable than and, the cash and, payment. And you did this on your own accord. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it was it was very it was very rewarding and, and beneficial to be able to save some money for my patients. You know, you, you just as, as a resident and you have to just stretch out all the, all the money you earn and all that. And and you, you take a look at it from from a patient's perspective of having to pay a thirty dollar copayment here, a fifty dollar copayment here. It's like, where does the money go with with cost of living? Even at that point, it was skyrocketing for, for everybody. So just to just to be able to help them, not only from a healthcare perspective, from a, from a direct management, but actually help them finish the job in actually being able to take their medications because it would be it would be very frustrating when you see people who wanted to be adherent to their medications but they would have to make difficult choices of whether to buy groceries or buy their medications that's that's something that that was very eye-opening for me very frustrating it, it, it motivated me very much to try to save money for my patient awesome that firsthand experience is key we'll get into it a little bit more on the show but First, let's let's talk about who is uh, Dr. Eddie Joe. I mean, we've all seen the incredible things that you do on social media. I mean, you're you're all over the place between Instagram, um, your own podcast, the Saving Lives podcast. Which, if you want to learn more about evidence based medicine, please go and and follow, subscribe to that show. You have your own website or blog where you're posting information. Uh, we'll talk about that some more too. But let's. 
talk about who is Eddie Joe. You, your parents came to this country shortly before you were born. You grew up from humble, humble beginnings to the superstar that you are now. So can you just kind of share your story? Sure, absolutely. Well, my, my parents came over from Cuba um, a couple of years before I was born. And um, I, I was very blessed to have very good parents, very supportive, uh, very supportive family environment. And, um, you know, they, they gave me everything that they that they possibly could. Very hardworking folks. I was always a I was always a hard worker myself, and I think all the other stuff I create on the side is kind of a testament to that. But I always wanted to have a job, and my family was very supportive, as I mentioned before. And they would say, "Eddie, don't don't worry about getting a job. You're gonna have plenty of time to work. Just focus on your education." But um, I, I I wasn't as great a student in college as one would think because I was too distracted because I just wanted to work. And in high school, I ended up getting a job at a retail pharmacy that many of us are familiar with now. Um, we all have it at our local at our local hometowns and whatnot. But working at that pharmacy, first I started off as a cashier and I quickly moved on to becoming a pharmacy tech. And that was extremely rewarding because not only did I get a lot of interaction with people, but in addition to that, I was exposed to the names of the medications, the doses, Mm -hmm. as well as the pricing of all these medications and to get some insight of sorts as to how all the health insurance stuff works with regards to deductibles, co-payments, all those things that, that when people generally start medical school, they have no idea about. So, um, even at that point, it really hurt my really hurt my heart to to see people struggling to pay for their for their prescriptions. Where if you know you, you go ahead and you order your refill and your refill sits on the shelf for a couple of days, well, the pharmacy ends up calling you and saying, "Hey, are you going to pick up your prescription?" This is a reminder. But to have to actually call somebody's house and be like, "Hey, are you going to pick up your prescription?" and they tell you, "I, I just can't afford it right now." You know, as as a 17 year old, that that was very eye opening to me because that's when I started working there, and I did I did uh, I did pharmacy tech work for almost six years before I went to medical school, and so that that was my first foray into. I actually wanted to go to pharmacy school for a period of time, but that was my first foray into the experience of the the costs of medications and how important it is to have some sort of program to be able to assist the people who unfortunately cannot afford their medications. Jeez. So you worked at the pharmacy for a couple of years while you were completing college? Yeah, when I was in undergrad, I was I was working in the pharmacy and you know, my intention was to go to pharmacy school. Uh, however, into but, you know, a couple of years before that happened, my, my father got sick. Um, he was 42 years old. He was previously healthy. Basically, I'm 40 years old now. And the way that I look right now, that's how my father looked at when he was 42. A very strong, hard, very strong guy. He was a roofing contractor, um, worked like a mule on the on the on the roofs of Miami, which is where yeah, I was born and raised. Son. I did yeah. a little roofing uh, when I was in college down in Florida. So <laughs> We'll have a we'll have another conversation about that, but <laughs> but you, only if you do roofing do you understand roofing. <laughs> but but basically, my my father ended up getting sick, and and just the just the process of working within the insurance company's realm, and then mm. trying to afford his medications himself, it was very eye opening to me that it it really hit close to home, where where one has an idea that a healthcare system works a certain way, but then when when you actually experience it, you find that it's far more challenging than than what's what's advertised of sorts. And I, I became very frustrated with with the healthcare system and and with the way everything operated. And my father ended up getting a kidney transplant, which that's that's basically what happened. He went into renal failure, but my father got a kidney transplant in 2005. And at that point, I'm like, okay. Now those bills are going to be taken care of. You know, my father could get back on his feet because he wasn't going to have to be on dialysis three times a week. And I came into his hospital room one day and I said, I'm going to go to medical school because if somebody's going to take care of the people in my family and in my community, it's got to be me because wow. the way that the way that it's working right now is not is not working for me. So basically sold everything. And uh, quit my job. I had a lot of support from from my bosses, who to this day I still remain in contact with. Got on a plane and I went to a I went to another country to go study medicine because it would have been impossible for me to to stay in the United States. I would never have been able to afford it. Jeez. 
So did you know going to a different country, like, did you have any thoughts of residency or, or how you'd come back to the States? Nope. I took a plunge. Uh, the, the, the reality is that sometimes you have to take great risks in this life. And the time to do it is, is when you're young and you don't have a family to support. Um, so so I, I, I honestly just picked up my bags and I went. Wow. Well, you completed medical school, obviously. Uh, we wouldn't be speaking today. And then you came back for residency in the States? Yep, correct. Um, I was very, very fortunate to be selected to be one of the residents through the match in Savannah. And I was, I was extremely happy to be there. I mean, just to get the opportunity. It's, it's very challenging for foreign medical grads to get back into the States. There's a lot of there's significant hoops that one has to jump. And uh, it's it's just not easy. That's That's the bottom line. But it's, it's definitely doable. I mean, if it's your dream and you do well in your steps and all that, I'm not trying to discourage people, but the reality is that nobody should think it's a piece of cake or a cakewalk. It, it comes with significant challenges. And, um, you know, the, the reality is my, my passion was to do emergency medicine. That's what I wanted to hmm. do. However, I didn't, I didn't get any, um, I didn't get any, any interviews for, for emergency medicine. So uh, internal medicine was my plan B. And I sent out... I sent out over 60 applications and I only got two interviews, but of those two interviews, I got the one that got me the residency spot. So I was, I was the happiest person there, to be honest. Everybody's like, Oh, they didn't get their, they didn't get their first choice. And I was, I was the happiest person. Everybody's like, Eddie, why are you so happy? Well, come on, look at this opportunity we all have to, to, to do a residency and, and to train and, and such a great place and such great people. So I, I was always very, very grateful for that opportunity and still am today, still keep in touch with all those folks. So. Yeah, especially considering the mission that launched you into medicine, the reason why you went into medicine to be able to come back and continue to take steps towards that dream. It, it, was, it was fun. It was very, very rewarding along the along the journey. And, and so during that um, residency was when, like you mentioned before, the story about your patients not being able to afford medications. Um, you're able to use this GoodRx program. Do you have anybody that you can recall any specific, I mean, obviously we can't have details, but any specific kind of patients that you were able to really help specifically with this GoodRx? Well, so absolutely. I mean, I would try to find a way to apply to everybody. And so I would have, uh, I would have all these medications already kind of saved on my favorites of sorts um, and just have everything ready to be printed out. And, I, and, and it, it's, it's really hard to have that discussion with patients of like, how much do you pay for your medication? And right. do you have a hard time for it, or like paying for it? Because there's some people who are like open books and they want to trust you, but some don't want to tell you about their financial difficulties. So I would just say, Hey, by the way, there's this product, there's this service. And I know you might have to go to a different pharmacy than you're accustomed to, but if it's going to save you this much money, multiply it by 12 months, that's going to be a hundred bucks at the end. And I'm just giving a hypothetical example, not an exact example, but I I would definitely uh, audit every patient to see what I could do for them to try to facilitate that. Yeah, and the question on a lot of people's minds probably is how much is GoodRx saving from their website? Some of the examples they have, uh, Losartan, it's a common blood pressure medication, um, 30 tablets. Uh, the website example is they can get it as low as $6.52 from $11.76, which is a 45% discount with a GoodRx coupon. Um, so Zenafil, that's a hot button issue and medication, um, stuff we won't get into. But it is 183 bucks um, without the GoodRx discount applied, and it brings it down to $14.32, 92% savings. Uh, ironically, Eddie, you, you talked about working at the pharmacy. I actually worked at a pharmacy as well. Uh, when I was in college, I was an assistant. I did like a management internship program. Mm-hmm. And during the program, they would like call me back to the pharmacy. So I would run the, the drive-through whenever it got busy. But I remember... Um, one gentleman came through and he came to pick up his Sildenafil order and somehow I lost the package or I miscounted pills or something. I just knew he was like super pissed. And it was about that time that I looked up the the cost per pill and I was like, oh, yeah, there's a, there's a reason why he's uh, counting every single pill. <laughs> 
We, we could just say it's for pulmonary hypertension. There we go. There, yeah, there we go. It's a pulmonary no hypertension make, medication. No need to make assumptions. <laughs> um, the importance of uh, GoodRx, I mean, again, the, the savings that they're able to pass along, the way the system works, they'll compare prices. Um, the drug prices will vary depending on the pharmacy that the patients go to, but they can use GoodRx to find current prices and discounts for that medication. As Eddie mentioned too, there's also coupons that can help uh, patients pay less than the cash price for their prescriptions. And they just need to bring these coupons to the pharmacy when they pick up their prescription. So it's a super easy program to implement, um, something that um, hopefully each of you, I know a lot of health professionals listen to this as well as um, pre-medical programs, pre-health profession students so something that you can add to your toolbox for when you are on the wards and when you are treating and dealing with patients. Um, now, Eddie, we want to definitely mention that we can order these GoodRx cards that are specifically for healthcare providers. We'll put a link in the show notes. You can go there and, and apply. You'll fill in a little bit of information. You can have these kits delivered either in Spanish or in English. And again, once you put that information in, they will include your name as well as your office or practice location. And you can hand these to your patients when you see them in your clinic or wherever you're seeing patients. So incredibly useful resource. Go ahead and click on the show notes and fill this out. Get this sent. It's free in case I didn't realize. I don't think I've mentioned that before. This program is free for physicians, for prescribers. So definitely take advantage of it because your patient's We'll, we'll certainly appreciate the cost savings. Well, you know, you know what's funny is um, <clears throat> given that I work in the intensive care unit, one wouldn't think that GoodRx cards would be located there. But yeah. 100% honest, true story. Yesterday, I was in my ICU and I was walking around the desk of where the case manager works. <laughs> and there was, the, there was the, the stack of cards on the little card holder of the GoodRx cards. And I, I thought that was pretty entertaining because I, I hadn't seen it in the ICU, but I happened to see it yesterday. I'm like, oh, okay, this is, this is yeah. good. Because, you, you know, we get, we get patients who come into the ED who uh, come in with a hypertensive emergency and, you know, they come in with a blood pressure of like 250 over a buck 50 pulmonary edema, uh, that sympathetic overload that we are now learning about more and more every day. And you ask them, hey, you know, what, what happened? Oh, I just don't take my medications. Well, why not? Oh, it's because, you know, the cost went up or this, that, the other. Well, that's not a good opportunity to move on in and be saying, like, hey, let's, let's, this is something we could fix. Thankfully, we don't want you to have any worsening organ function, you know, with, with their troponins bumping and their kidney function being upset at you. Basically, the definition of the hypertensive uh, emergency, but um, but you could prevent that from happening again because nobody wants to be with a BiPAP mask on their face sucking wind. It's just yeah. something they don't forget. And so if you say, hey, by the way, we have a way that you can save money on your prescription potentially by using this. I know, I know you're a self-pay patient and I take care of everybody the same way, whether they have whatever insurance or lack of insurance, I don't care. I'm there to take care of people. I don't even look at that. But if they struggle with affording their medications, hey, this is a way that you could use. Everybody has a cell phone. I personally use the app. As a matter of fact, we purchase, uh, I don't know if it's TMI, but my, my wife has uh, eczema. So we, 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 we utilize GoodRx because it's cheaper than our insurance company to purchase her triamcinolone. I mean, it's just, it's just the way it is. And I hope she doesn't get mad at me when she listens to this, that I, <laughs> that I bullish, but I think a good, a good, good chunk of the population has eczema. So it's benign enough that I can mention it here, but, but it's, it saves us money. We use it instead of the, we use it instead of using our insurance because it's, it's less expensive than our copay. Yeah. And, and I know, you know, for a lot of folks we do, well, we just finished on the podcast kind of recapping the transition period from June and July, where folks are becoming uh, new interns, PGY one year or graduating internship or, and moving on to residency and, and so on and so forth. But I remember like you had exposure in the pharmacy. I had a little bit of exposure in the pharmacy. Again, it didn't really make much of an impact for me. Like I was like, okay, this is cool. These drug prices, whoa, so that it feels really expensive. But it wasn't until I was an intern when I started to see patients 
And then I had to go get a medication. Like I had strep or something and I had to go get uh, antibiotic from the pharmacy. And I think the first time I went through, it didn't take my insurance card. And I think the meds were like 25 or 30 bucks. And I'm like, you know, that's, that's not crazy. But as a first year resident, I did not want to spend my 30 bucks on antibiotics. Um, and I had to rerun it with my insurance and it came down to five bucks. So it's, it's at some point in your career, you're going to be faced with this dilemma that your patients face or realize that that money really adds up. When you have to spend X amount of dollars every 30 days for whatever medication, it, it can be very prohibitive and it can lead to non-adherence, um, as Eddie alluded to earlier. We know that's, that's a huge problem with the patients that we see that keeps them coming back and forth to the hospital. Yeah, it's it's always troublesome when you see the frequent flyers that you eventually develop a relationship with them and where you, you, one has to remain compassionate and say, hey, mm. what is it that's going on? Why, why, why do you keep on coming back? Why aren't you taking care of yourself? Why aren't you taking your medications? Like we're not here to be police officers or uh, judge, jury, executioner. I'm, I'm here to try to help you. We're here to try to help you as healthcare professionals. What is it that's the problem that's limiting you? Because I, I, I don't mind taking, I don't mind hanging out with you for a little bit, but I'd rather hang out with you by seeing you at Target or Walmart or, <laughs> or at the Chick Fil A or, or something like that, rather than seeing no, not Chick Fil A because you have to be on a low sodium diet. I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, low cholesterol, but, but, all that. <laughs> get the chicky nuggies. Um, but, but in all honesty, it's like, it's, one has to take that opportunity because sometimes you could connect with these folks who, for one reason or another, just, just cannot be adhering to their medication. And if you could figure out what it is, if it's cost and you could help decrease that by whatever percentage that's, and just, and just for them to know that there's somebody who cares about them because there is a lot of compassion that's lost in medicine these days. And it's, it's very frustrating, but this is unfortunately the way it is. And if we could do any, any, any step in the right direction to take care of these folks before they come visit me in the ICU, I'll be happy with that. I could find other things to do. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and in terms of numbers, um, since launching in 2011, GoodRx has saved a total of $40 billion to date for their patients or customers. And the average GoodRx savings off of prescription retail prices range from roughly 84% for cholesterol medication to 37% for diabetes medication. We all know insulin is extremely expensive and extremely uh, important for patients. Um, so just uh, you know, some of the numbers related to GoodRx and the impact that they are making. Yeah, it's it's even even with my father's care um, when because ultimately my father lost his uh, the kidney transplant. He he rejected mm. the organ and never and never quite took uh, the way it should have. Um, you know his creatinine never improved from three, and uh, he eventually ended up losing the organ within less than six months. He was back on dialysis, which was definitely heartbreaking for all of us. But even at that point, we had to go back on the medications like the FOS binders and all that uh, antihypertensive needed antihypertensives needed. And, uh, you know, when GoodRx came out, we had an option of somewhere else to look and somewhere else to have some assistance. And even even before he passed uh, in March, excuse me, in February of last year, we were using the GoodRx app still <laughs> rather than printing out the Sorry, coupons and the cards. I mean, that's it's just life, right? Like I, I know other people who are less fortunate there who uh, – don't lose their family members earlier. I was blessed to have them for almost the first 40 years of my life. So um, I, I have no regrets. I, I had great family. So that's that. But that being said, the using the app was, was extremely helpful for us because, uh, you know, you just go and you show your phone and you just, I'll just pull it up as an example because, you know, we have, we're doing this on video, but for those people who, <laughs> Who are, who are just watching the podcast, I put in an example of like Lisinopril. Um, and you just go ahead and you put in the free coupon, you put in the name of the medication and whatnot, and you can see how much it costs at a local pharmacy, you know, around my neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And you just go ahead and you present this to the, to the pharmacy tech and they put it into the computer system and the price changes. That's fantastic. 
But let's return to the Eddie Joe story. Sure. <laughs> I think we, we left off. You were in residency. Um, mm-hmm. But we know you've done a lot since then based upon the, the content that you put out, a lot of critical care-based uh, content. So at some point, you completed a critical care fellowship. Yeah. What, what led you to that? So a couple things. The first thing I knew I did not want to do outpatient medicine and God bless the folks who do family practice, primary care, who do internal medicine outpatient. God bless all those people because God knows I can't do it. Um, it, it was just, it was just too, it was too difficult for me, but it's, it's kind of crazy because doing critical care, everybody knows what critical care entails, but it was far harder for me to do primary care where if I had to send somebody for a colonoscopy, it's like, could they go ahead and afford the colonoscopy or could the GI doctor fit them in? Or who's the GI doctor who does, you know, work, work for people who have this insurance company or that it's, it was, it was just very, very challenging. Um, it it was a level of concern. It it used to actually bring me anxiety where I, I would worry about my patients and worry if they were going to be able to get the care that they needed. So I had, for, for my own self-preservation, I decided not to go into anything that had an outpatient clinic. And so I was going to do hospital medicine. I was going to be very happy being a hospital medicine physician, work my seven on, seven off, have a lifestyle source. But I was blessed in my uh, internal medicine residency to have some fantastic attendings who noted that I had the potential to be an intensivist. And I got pulled aside by two of them who, whom I still speak with today. Um, and they said, Eddie, you don't know it yet, but you're an intensivist. And I said, well, I'm not as smart as you guys. Like you guys are like <laughs> these geniuses and know everything. And they're like, no, you're not as smart as us right now, but you could get there if you work hard. And so I, I, I used that motivation because, I, again, these were people who, who are very well respected, very intelligent, pushing me to do something that was going to be uncomfortable for me ultimately. And, uh, I was able to apply for a critical care fellowship and, and I got a spot and I was very, I mean, grab the bull by the horns. Right. And I just went down that route, did the two year training program, which was phenomenal. Great, great, great experience. And it's, it's just a fantastic feeling, which you're about to embark on yourself <laughs> where yeah. anything that comes through the door, you could take care of it. Man. And what were some of the highlights or or experiences of that fellowship it, well it, it was just it was just the fact that i had that opportunity was the first and most important highlight of it because there are many people who try to apply for these fellowships and they can't get in unfortunately there's not enough supply for for all the demand which is troublesome because there's such a shortage of intensivists if you mm. really look down really like get down to the nitty-gritty but that's a that's a different conversation but um, I, I had a fantastic training program and I had fantastic co-fellows and a fantastic faculty that allowed us the autonomy to be able to take care of all these critically ill patients, whether it was in the CBICU, the CCU, MICU, SICU, trauma, neuro ICU. I mean, I, I had the opportunity to do it all as a critical care fellowship. So it was basically two years in, in ICUs, different ICUs. Every rotation was pretty much an ICU. And coming out of that fellowship, what kind of job did you settle into? So one of the big uh, misconceptions that exists out there is the fact that most institutions are looking for pulmonary critical care doctors. Um, And that's something I get asked frequently and I've addressed on, on my different mediums. But what's, what a lot of folks are recognizing is that Pulmonary is getting a little bit more complicated by the day with all these new medications, the ILD medications, pulmonary hypertension medications, uh, even even the new stuff for COPD, asthma, the monoclonal antibodies that are coming out. It's becoming a very complicated field. So this is some people might differ in, in opinion as me, and that's okay because, you know, we all are entitled to our own opinion. But I feel that in order to be... Excellent, because I, I try not to be anything but excellent. That's that's just the way that that my my family trained me to be. If it's really hard to be excellent at both pulmonary and excellent at critical care, that's that's my opinion. And a lot of folks are kind of realizing this. So there are a number of hospitals that are actually looking for people who do pure critical care because they want to take a step back and just do pulmonary and. Hmm. Um, 
And that's actually what happened in my practice. They were they 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 could not keep up with the workload from the ICU as well as their pulmonary clinics. So they needed somebody to just cover some ICUs. And at least in my institution with the with the group that I work with now, they're like, let's let's see for a year, let's see how it goes. We're gonna sign you for a year. We'll we've never done this before. Let's see how it goes. Unfortunately, it's worked out well that after a year, they're like, you can stay as long as you want. Nice. <laughs> like the, you, you, you have a job no matter what, <laughs> like just, just keep on working with us, please. So, <laughs> um, but, but a lot of, a lot of institutions are starting to notice that even, even institutions that where, where I sent my CV and I said, Hey, I'm an intensivist, but I don't do pulmonary. They initially shrugged me off, but it seems as if some people, looked over my CV and then they ended up calling me back later that year or a year later and be like, are you still available? We just need ICU help. Wow. So, and, and then the other thing that's happening is that there are these, these uh, companies out there that I'm not going to name that are affiliated with the huge healthcare systems that they have their divisions of critical care and they will take, whether it's uh, internal medicine, critical care, emergency medicine, critical care, anesthesia, critical care, they just need people to take care of patients. So, and they, and they don't, they don't hire pulmonologists. They just hire peer intensivists. So for, for okay. the sake of job opportunities, that's another direction that people could go in. No, that's good to know. The job market is hot for critical. Well, obvi- obviously, uh, we got to talk about the elephant in the room, uh, COVID-19, because mm-hmm. when you're going through, I mean, obviously nobody really expected this to happen, but I mean, I remember specifically, at one point, because you practice in a city that I actually uh, lived in for quite a while. I have some friends down there. And one of my friends hit me up because their relative was admitted to a hospital with COVID. And it was a hospital you practice at. And I was able to, you know, we respected HIPAA, but I was like, hey, I just asked, I think, if you were rounding, if you were on service. And you said you were. And for me, that meant a lot because it meant that you were taking care of this person that, that I knew. So it's small world, especially with uh, the pandemic that we're, we're hopefully coming out of. Um, what did that do to your practice as an intensivist? Um, I, I really hate to say this, but it was, it, it really hasn't changed me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I could definitely understand how it changes a number of people, but it was it was our call to action, so to speak, where we had the opportunity. We had a, we had a pandemic. We had a ton of people who were sick, but we have we have a skill set that we were blessed with that we were asked to put to our maximum to our maximum use. I guess it would be the the best way I could think about saying it. But if we didn't do it, if we didn't take care of these people, if we didn't come to work every day resilient and and, and you could put you could put aside all the other all the other commentary that takes place because there were a lot of things that could have been done better on every single front, right? Like you could talk about everything that I'm not going to mention here. <laughs> but that being said, at the end, when it, when it comes to when it comes to your community, if you were a doctor, a nurse, a respiratory therapist, you were challenged to the utmost of your capacity, the utmost of your capabilities, but if you didn't do it, if you called in sick, if you got tired or people were going to lose their lives. And so that's the mentality that I would try my best to rally my team with, um, rally even my partners with, the nurse practitioners who are tired. Like we, we saw more patients than we had ever seen before in a day. But we did our best and we, every day we just left everything there at the hospital. My wife would be like, how was your day at work? And I'd say, it's over. Like, I can't, I just can't, I can't bring this home with me. I need to go to sleep. I need to watch family guy or South park or something stupid. (laughs) Uh, Like, can I watch like a dodgeball for the 18th time? Um, But I need to watch something that's just going to disconnect me because tomorrow I just have to do it all over again. And that's the that's the internal battle that that you were on as well when you were when you were battling this this yourself. That's that's but but now we're we all learned a lot being on the other side. I'm an optimistic dude. I could be wrong. We could get another wave. But my my gut is telling me we're not going to. Uh, I've been wrong like 80 million times during the course of this (laughs) pandemic. So it'll be 80 million and one. But that being said, it's the only way that I could wake up every morning and 
just give it my all. Because as I mentioned before, I believe we have a skill set. I believe I have a skill set. You have a skill set. People who are listening to us have a God-given skill set. If you haven't found it yet, hopefully you will. But there is something that we all have within us that could help better our society, our community, our families, and and we have to just capitalize on it. And we can't let we can't let things that are ultimately outside of our control because that's that's just life. There's chaos all around us. Um, we can't let those things get to us because then we're not going to be able to achieve our mission. Yeah. So Eddie, let me ask you this: Are are things back to normal in your ICU? One hundred percent normal. Yeah. Okay. 100% normal. It's actually been that way for the last uh, seven or eight months. Wait, wait, what, what month are we in? We're in June. Basically since like uh, late January, we've been okay. back to normal. That's good. Um, back to, so talking about the pandemic, you um, you don't give medical advice online. None of us do. But the content that you'd been putting out was invaluable around that time because you focus on um, providing evidence-based research articles, all of the above on your Instagram. That's how I first found you. Um, then I found out that you had a blog as well. Um, and then you started this podcast, a saving lives podcast. So what came first for you in terms of, uh, social media? So the first thing that came was actually Instagram. Okay. And what's, what's funny about that is I, I really liked being in academia, when I was doing my fellowship, I thought I wanted to stay there. And, but it just didn't work out when it came down to it. Because I, if, if I would have been younger, uh, if I would have been born instead of being born in the early 80s, if I would have been born like in 1990 or something, I probably would have been diagnosed with ADHD or something like that. <laughs> wouldn't, wouldn't catch anybody by surprise who's been around me because I can't, can't maintain my attention for very long. But that, that being said, um, I want I, I couldn't deal with the rounds from academics. I couldn't deal with the four hour rounds. It's just it was just too much. So I'm like, I have to go practice on my own. I like being hands on. I liked doing my own procedures, taking care of my patients directly, talking to everybody as soon as they hit the door of the ICU or the ER. Um, so I said, okay, I'm gonna go into private practice. Once that took place, um, I wanted to start doing education for the nurse practitioners as well as my partners. Like, hey, I'm reading this. You should check this out. And like, because I always like to read. I don't watch TV or anything, generally speaking. So I wanted to just put out information. But then the nurses want to get in on it. They're like, oh, I want to I want to like read this, too. And I'm like, well, I got I got I can't be sending emails like this. I got to figure out an easier way to disseminate this information. And so that's how I came up with putting it on Instagram. Uh, and trying to do it like in a bite size in a bite size <laughs> manner. So I'm like, okay, what I'll do, in, do is, is put it on Instagram, and then I'll just mention a blurb on it, and I'll put it on a website. Because I, I did a computer science for for a while in college as well before I did pharmacy. Okay. But that's a that different story. That makes so, sense. So I built the website, and I started posting things on the website. And next thing you know, it was a snowball. And this is this is where we're at right now with with regards to that snowball and i'm and I'm just very blessed for every and very thankful for everybody who follows me on on all my social media stuff because what what I try to do is it's 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 ultimately hard for people who are not familiar with how to digest evidence based medicine and to do statistical analysis and all that but at this point, I've had so much practice <laughs> that i could I could take an yeah. article and just dissect it in a matter of minutes. And and try to, I hate saying dumb it down because it's not really dumbing it down. It's still a complicated thought process. But what I try to do is make it a little bit more uh, accessible or ha- allow it to have some sort of appeal to a broader audience than if something was just published in, you know, the American Journal of Respiratory and Critical Care Medicine. Like nobody gets that. Like that's too esoteric. So. If we had to go behind the scenes, I mean, if this is a trade secret, you know, we can move on. But you do a lot of um, the the style is super cool where you you write on the articles. Mm -hmm. What's your creation process for like getting this this perfect screenshot? Like, how do you do this? I have an iPad and I have an an Apple Pencil. There's like not an app or anything? No, I just I just take a screenshot of it and then I draw on it with Apple Pencil. My, my production like value is very low. <laughs> <laughs> no way. It's like it's. I've had the same Apple. I've I've had the same iPad for the last like four or five years. Um, just 
just simple, simple stuff. You know, the thing is, that if the if the barrier to entry is too high, there's there's not not a lot of people are going to want to try it. And so it's even even the podcast was a piece of cake, relatively speaking. I mean, the the microphone that I have right in front of me was thirty dollars uh, when I bought it, and all I use is the laptop that I'm using right now to speak to you, my microphone, and then that's it. Well, um, I mean, it goes it goes to show like if you are passionate about something that you just need to go out and do it because you have helped. I mean. hundreds of thousands of people with the content and you literally just did it drawing on your your ipad and posting it so hat tip to you eddie joe (laughs) i appreciate it you know the thing is i get get a lot of enjoyment from doing it because there's this conception that like i you know since i do this i must know everything but I, i really want people to know that there's a lot of stuff that i put out that i don't i don't know it when i read it and i'm learning from it too so we're all growing in this together you know, like even, even for example, today, which is, watch, this is going to make you laugh for historical context. Today's the 28th of June of 2022. Um, but the, the, the article of melanone versus dobutamine that I posted today on my Instagram, I had never actually read that article, like for real. I had, I had gone through it and I have my bias. I'm a melanone guy. I like melanone. I did not say that at any point in time. So like I read that there was no difference. I said, cool, I could keep on using melanone for people in, in cardiogenic shock. But today I started reading the article and, um, and I just took a couple minutes. I dissected it really quick, put it on my website, put it on YouTube, put it on the, put it on, on Instagram. And, uh, I'm going to record a podcast. I already wrote the script for it. And so the whole, the whole process took me even like editing the video on final cut. I do have final cut. That was expensive, <laughs> but, um, but, but, you know, all the, all these different pieces of content is going to take me a total of like 45 minutes to do. Oh, wow. Cause I, I've That's already, I, I've already, I've already gone ahead and, uh, and, um, uh, systematize. Is that a correct word? Um, sure. I, I've made a systematic method of, of, maximizing my time especially now that i have a now that i have an eight month old that that is incredible what i mean thank you for giving us a peek behind the scenes of what you do and and how you do it um tell us about the the podcast as we start to wrap up the saving lives podcast um talk about that yeah so people have been asking me to create a podcast and create a podcast like eddie create a podcast and I honestly didn't want to do it. The first thing, first things first, and actually the nurse practitioners who I'm blessed to work with were both making fun of me today because they were watching the video I created in front of me because they know I hate hearing my voice. <laughs> I hate hearing my voice. And if you have a podcast, as you well know, or anybody oh, else absolutely. who has a podcast, part of the thing is editing yourself or at least at least cleaning up background noises or, you know, all of a sudden my baby starts crying and like, you want to edit that part out and there's a process, but I, I wanted to create a podcast after so many people told me that they would just listen to me on the way to work and from work that they couldn't watch my, they couldn't watch my YouTube videos because, you know, YouTube is, you have to keep it open and you can't really like quite listen to it. So the appeal wasn't there anymore. So I just, I just took a dive and I, created a podcast and the next thing you know it's getting a significant amount of downloads and and people seem to like it and the the key thing for me and this goes back to my attention issue is that in order for me to record a podcast it has to be like less than 15 minutes if it takes me more than 15 minutes to do <laughs> i'm not going to do it it's just it's just challenging like if i'm having a conversation like i'm having a conversation with you um that's that's easy right because i've always I've, I've been following you for a couple of years back and I've been with you in your journey with the Navy when you were doing your medical missions. And I thought it was the coolest <laughs> thing. And now when you got into your fellowship, I'm like super pumped for you. I'm excited for you to like hit your head against the wall a million times. It's just going to oh, be fun. Yeah. Right. Um, so, so we have like this kinship of sorts, uh, being educators and, and people growing on this. And, and now even, even with the podcast where, 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 you know, people, people listen to us. I, I don't know why <laughs> I, I struggle with that, but, yeah. but, but people, people listen to us and appreciate our content. And I know that you're doing great things in, in, in the way that you're approaching, uh, you're approaching your podcast. And that's why, you know, definitely hat tip to you uh, because it's just the beginning. 
because that, that's that's the crazy thing. This is this is just the beginning. Where you know the first time you put out a podcast episode, you have fifteen people uh, download it, and next thing you know, you have like you upload an episode, and within twenty minutes, you have hundreds of people like who have listened to it already. Yeah. And you're like, this is this is insane. It's it's completely surreal because at the end of the day, you you came from humble beginnings. I came from humble beginnings. Um, I don't think that either of us had you know a multimillionaire rich uncle who who, who gave us the world. We just took advantage of the. But do you wish? That's my question for you. Do you wish you had an ultra rich uncle? Because would you be would you be in the same place and would you be as happy? It's a good way to look at it. Be different. It, it would be Probably different. different. I, it's. I mean, maybe not because of the type of uh, the type of man who you are, but maybe it might have changed how how ambitious you are. That's that's a hypothetical question there. That's good. We'll, we'll definitely have to carry on this this conversation um, offline. The good thing is we've exchanged uh, information, so now we're uh, we're locked in. I have my new critical care mentor. <laughs> well, I mean, and the thing is, when you come and visit your family down here, you're you're more than welcome to come visit. Of course, of course. Eddie, this has been great. This has been refreshing. Um, talking about critical care, your journey has been incredibly inspiring. Uh, again, be able to see behind the scenes of you know what isn't necessarily shown on your social media because you do so much uh, good on your social media already. Um, if people want to find out more about you and see the things that you are up to, I know I've shouted out a couple of them, but I want to miss anything. Where can they get a hold of you and reach you? Oh man, this, this is always like the annoying part. <laughs> the, the the other thing is that I rarely divulge much, much about myself as a person because I don't want to taint what the message is. And the message is take good care of patients. Hmm. Um, but the, and that, that's basically what the podcast and the website and all that stuff reflect. But for the sake of following me on different places where I'm at, the podcast, as you mentioned on two occasions, is the Saving Lives podcast available everywhere that your podcast is available. <laughs> uh, or, wherever you're listening to this on, it's also available there. It's always funny to like build all those, like put the put the codes in yeah. the different uh, servers. <laughs> that's that's nerdy stuff between Stephen and I. But um, I also have my website, which is Eddie Joe MD, and basically everything is under Eddie Joe MD, and it's, it's Eddie with a Y, not an I E, <laughs> um, which is you know something that you know what's funny is I don't know if you've gotten deep into all this, uh, the search engine optimization and stuff like that for for all your content. Bit. But I, I see how many people end up searching for Eddie Joe MD with an IE. It's actually pretty funny that I, because, you know, it ends up redirecting from Google to my website. And so I get to see those numbers. I think it was me today. So <laughs> I'm on there. Um, that, that's awesome. And, uh, and uh, a free pearl um, as you start to build your career for whoever's listening, um, at some point, consider, you know, owning your name or whatever you want in, on, on the, website on the interwebs because who knows one day you may build an empire like uh eddie here well you know what's funny is that i actually i actually pay for 12 urls but i only use one of them what are the other 11 they're variations of my name huh yeah just so that just so that somebody doesn't try to listen a url does not cost what it used to cost before i think it's something ridiculous like 12 dollars a month i mean that's 12 dollars a month 12 dollars a year so um, it really, and, and 12 might be an exaggeration. I think it might be like eight or nine, but it definitely is worthwhile to at least like carve out your name or your alias or whatever on the internet, because if you're successful, somebody's going to take it and try to sell it back to you. <laughs> yeah. Free gems. We obviously have to thank uh, the folks at GoodRx for bringing us together, for sponsoring this podcast GoodRx is changing the economic landscape of healthcare. To recap a couple of the things that GoodRx has done, um, we've talked about it throughout the course of the, the show, especially with Eddie's intimate knowledge of GoodRx and the incredible things that they've done for him and for his patients. Probably four of the big things and big ways that GoodRx has impacted healthcare and well-being. Um, number one, they help Americans with or without insurance save on their prescription medications. I've read through some numbers before, but in 2020, GoodRx users saved an average of 79% off of the retail prices uh, for prescription medications. And in that same year, for the 100 most purchased medications, GoodRx users paid less than 
the average commercial insurance co-pays 55% of the time, and users who paid less than the average commercial insurance copay saved an average of 52% off the average copay. Again, to date, they've saved Americans over $40 billion on their prescription medications. Um, the second way they're impacting healthcare delivery is by improving medication adherence. Eddie and I talked earlier about the extensive uh, ramifications of patients not being able to afford the medication and how that affects them being able to take these medications that would manage uh, otherwise treatable diseases. By lowering out-of-pocket medication costs, Gunnarexis helped patients obtain at least 78 million prescriptions they otherwise would not have been able to afford. The third way that Gunnarex impacts healthcare is by improving overall health outcomes. This goes without being said that better medication adherence also means better health outcomes. Patients with high cholesterol or heart disease are now able to afford their prescription medications. And the effect of GoodRx has directly contributed to the prevention of over 1,000 avoidable hospitalizations and helped save nearly 500 lives from the discounts on these medications. The fourth way that GoodRx is impacting healthcare in the U.S. is by freeing up funds for other necessities. We've seen the price of gas, the price of food, everything, inflation is all on the news, on social media, and the headlines. So if you, there's other places you can put your your money besides medications, that would be ideal. Um, but over 20% of Americans have trouble paying for basic necessities like food or housing due to their medication costs. By reducing the burden of medication expenses, GoodRx helps people afford other essentials. Um, so once again, we are happy and excited that they've chosen to partner with the Black Daughters podcast um, and they've partnered with uh, Eddie as well so he could share uh, the incredible incredible experience he's had thus far thank you for joining us on the Black Daughters podcast Eddie thank you for for being here because representation matters well, thank you for having me it's, it's, it's been fun we'll do this again and then we'll, we'll maybe record a, a episode in person when we're we're in the same uh, city yeah, we'll, we'll do it in my backyard <laughs> the data for this episode was taken from the good rx effect published in june of 2021 and compiled by the good rx research team thank you for supporting the black doctors podcast we're a small team so everything that you can do to help really matters whether that's leaving a review or a rating on iTunes or on Spotify, whether that's sharing with someone that you know that may benefit from the content that we provide in the community that we're trying to create.